I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. Today I'm going to discuss something that no one likes to talk about. And you know, it's funny how most of the topics that I address seem to fall into that category. I used to wonder why people don't like to talk about things like obedience, the law, judgment. But I've come to realize that for the most part, truth has been overshadowed by what sounds good, what feels good. It's a cotton candy gospel. It's all soft, sweet, fuzzy. Jesus is love. He wouldn't judge anyone, would he? God wouldn't really send anyone to hell, would he? Besides, we're all under grace, and grace trumps everything that we could possibly do, right? I wouldn't bet my original Red Rider BB gun on any of that. The fact of the matter is that great news draws huge profits. God is going to elevate and promote you. God is going to bless your socks off financially. God is a loving God, and he gives good gifts to his children. Those are all commonly heard statements coming from the pulpits of America. The only prerequisite for the aforementioned statements to come true is you got to give deep and give sacrificially. (sighs) That's not what God said. I've read the Bible. I've read all of it. More than once. More than twice, actually. I've never found it stated in the Bible that God exists to elevate or promote you. I have read on many occasions that we are to elevate God. I have never read, not once, where the Bible says that God is going to give you wealth and riches. I have read somewhere in the Bible that the poor will always be among us. And by the way, the poor among us are true believers in Christ. So the thought that God is going to lay riches at your feet of any and all believers is just wishful thinking. I have read where God gives his children gifts. But I've never read where God is obligated to do any of that to give you a certain ministry. It just ain't so. But I get it. Things are so uncertain nowadays that everyone is looking for some good news. Funny thing about that. The gospel means good news. But to all too few want to hear the gospel. That's not the good news that they want to hear. They want to hear the gospel that provides riches and wealth. They want to hear the gospel that God is going to give them what they want. They want to hear the gospel that guarantees a life on easy street. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that gospel ain't the genuine good news. You see, it's only a part of the gospel that's been amped up to make it sound warm, sweet, and fuzzy, like cotton candy. But in the genuine form, it's not the whole gospel. You see, the whole gospel is not about who and what you are in this life. The whole gospel has to do with what is promised later on. 
And don't go to thinking that you're something extra special and deserve better expecting God to hand it to you on a silver platter. You're serving the God of your flesh, not the God of the Bible. And some may say, well, just look over there. Look at Brother Billy Joe Jimmy Bob. The Lord has blessed him so much. Why can't God do that for me? Well, Brother Billy Joe Jimmy Bob either inherited his wealth, went out and worked his rear end off to earn his wealth, or stooped to unscrupulous means to acquire all that blessing. There might be another way that Brother Billy Joe Jimmy Bob has received all those blessings. Maybe. Just maybe. He has been obedient with what God has given him to the extent that God blessed him more for his good stewardship. Uh Uh-oh. I'm talking about works, and salvation is not acquired by works. You are correct. Salvation is not obtained through works. I never said it was. As I recall, I was talking about blessings, judgment. As far as that goes, most people think the riches and wealth when the subject of blessing comes up. (sighs) I'm not even going to get started on that. I'll eat up all my time for this episode in the next one too if I do that. But most people want a nice, comfortable church setting where everything goes according to plan. I'm not surprised. Paul warned Timothy that such would be the case. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-4, through 4, and that reads, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul called it. Now that's a perfect picture of the church. By and large, not all churches, but as the church stands today in America, The only thing is that today, people do not have to accumulate teachers to tickle their ears. Ear-tickling teachers, pastors, are coming out of the word work, drawing the masses to have their ears tickled for a fee. Hey, that sounds good. That feels good. Let's give this guy some money. That, my friends, is flocking to the God of your mind and the flesh. That is not the God of the Bible. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, more in depth. Solemnly, I charge you. Paul begins as he writes to Timothy. What Paul is telling Timothy, he says, I'm giving you a job to do, okay? Timothy has a job. So, Paul goes on that he is giving Timothy a job. He is charging Timothy in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. So, Timothy's been given a job, and God the Father and the Messiah Jesus are witness to the fact. Oh, yeah. Notice there in verse 1, it mentions Jesus as the one who will judge the living and the dead, and by Jesus appearing in his kingdom. Oh, brothers and sisters, judgment is coming. There's no way to sidestep it. You won't be able to call in sick. So what is the task or tasks 
that Paul has given Timothy to do in God's presence and in the presence of Jesus Christ that bears on the return of Christ and his kingdom. One, preach the word. Two, be ready to do so in season or out of season, at any time, whenever the opportunity is presented. Three, to reprove. Four, to rebuke. And five, to exhort. And to do these things with great patience and instruction. I have to admire Paul and Timothy here. I have no problem receiving or giving instruction. It's that patience thing that I struggle with. <clears throat> Everybody wants to preach. Everyone wants to be a theologian. Everyone wants to be a prophet. The evidence can be seen on every form of social media. In a way, that's good. In a way, that's bad. There are many who want to be, but are not even close. Likewise, everyone wants to reprove and rebuke, but who is willing to be reproved or rebuked? Not me. I'll admit that I've had my share of reproof and rebuke. I earned it honestly, and I needed it. I owned it. I suffered the growing pains and moved on. When I see someone offering reproof or rebuke honestly, gently, with patience, and it is needed, and if it is rejected, offering philosophy and defense, I know the truth is not sunk in yet. Give them some time. Pray for them. They'll be all right. Maybe. That brings me around to the latter part of the passage that I mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. The fact that people will not endure sound doctrine. I'm talking about biblical doctrine. Sound doctrine is sometimes tough to handle. Sometimes sound doctrine is not what we want to hear. Instead, let's have someone teach whose views are not so harsh, more palatable, and easy on the ears. Let's listen to what the teachers say that tell us what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear. That is much of the church in this day and time. Not all, but much by and far. Here's the clincher. I can't tell you how many times I've seen churches send preachers packing because that preacher dared to tell them something they didn't want to hear. Just true. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. Here's the part that too few catch. Jesus is he who will judge the living and the dead. Judgment is coming. Be careful. Watch your step. Judgment will come, and that right suddenly. Now, if you'll notice in the book of Revelation, Jesus has written some letters through Paul to several churches, seven to be exact. Five of those churches he reproved. He rebuked. He said, y'all need to get your act straight. I'm still here walking among you, and this is what I see, but y'all need to get it right. I'm going to give you a little bit more time. Well, the passage goes on to say, But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Oh, which God are you serving? The God of your mind or the God of the Bible? Be careful, please. Be very careful. I would say that it is better to err on the side of reverence instead of arrogance. You know who you are. I don't have to call your name. 
Let me share something with you that most don't like to talk about. And I just can't leave judgment alone. Sorry that offends you. No, not really. I make no apologies for the word of God. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Listen closely. This is good stuff. Listen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is the time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Wow. Now that's mouthful. And I could teach on this one passage for like a month. Easy. Every day. All day. Peter is saying that we should not be surprised when we suffer. Our suffering could be a test to grow our faith. You pass or fail. But to the level that we suffer, continue to rejoice in the name of Christ. Because when you suffer and share in the sufferings of Christ, you are blessed. If you are reviled and hated by others for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Rejoice anyway. Example, mm, Friday, March 1st, I had carpal tunnel surgery on my right hand. Do you think I'm going to sit around feeling sorry for myself or lamenting because God has not blessed me with wealth and riches beyond measure so that I don't have to go to work? Uh, no, I don't need that nor do I want a pity party. I'll be rejoicing that Jesus is still my Lord and Savior, just as I do every day that things are going exceedingly good. Peter tells us that we should be careful, however, not to suffer as a murderer, a thief, or a troublemaker. But if anyone suffers, they should not suffer in shame. But we are to glorify God. That even comes with persecution. Hmm. Persecution. Here's where it gets dicey for most people. Peter says that it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. That's right. Judgment begins within the house of God with the believers. <clears throat> I can't make this stuff up. But believers aren't judged. We're righteous under grace. How can we be judged? Peter is very clear. Judgment will begin in the house of God first. How much more so will judgment be upon those who do not obey the gospel of God? Could it be that judgment begins in the house of God first because they're not obeying the gospel of God? And there we have it, the gospel of God. Not the gospel of man that tickles ears or ignores sound doctrine. It will be judged. Everyone, one day, will stand and be judged gospel of God? What is the gospel of God? Therein judgment will begin in the household of God for not obeying the gospel of God. 
Did Peter mean the gospel of Jesus Christ? No. If that had been the case, he had said so. fact of the matter, as Jesus was on this earth, as I read through the four gospels, I never once heard Jesus or saw where Jesus referred to the gospel as my gospel. Jesus was all about the Father. The Father was all about the Son. The Father and the Son sent Holy Spirit to help us obey the gospel of God. Now, there's a word that most folks don't like, obey. What does it mean to obey the gospel of God? Well, in grace and a righteous before God, where does this obey come from? Do you really need me to explain it to you? Again, it's really as simple as separating the tares from the wheat. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what we see happening now. We see churches locked in power struggles that eventually collapse. A lot of the time, those collapses end with a pastor leaving the ministry because he's grown weary of fighting with deacons and elders who want the ultimate control of the church. That's not the way church was meant to be governed. We see churches dismissing pastors. Who is the wheat? Trying to get the tares to change their seed from tares to wheat. We see pastors who are tares uprooting the wheat. Who? Judgment is coming. Beware. Judgment is coming, and that right soon. Now, for those of you in the hallelujah and amen corner who do not believe that there is judgment for the righteous, I direct your righteousness to the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15, which reads, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, a shouting, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. A king is returning and claiming his kingdom, and he will rule forever, and he will judge. Let's look a little farther into Revelation, around chapter 21, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up their dead, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me make something clear. Just because your name is in the book of life does not mean that you will not stand before Jesus and be judged. We will all be judged. May not get tossed into the lake of fire, but judgment is coming, and that right soon. Now, that all sounds like some pretty severe judgment to me, but you see, it's not just judgment, it's a promise. Make no mistake about it. Judgment is a promise, and that rightly so. The dead, the great and small, will all be judged. In verse 13, it says that death and Hades gave up the dead in them. Death is of the righteous. Hades gave up the unrighteous 
else they had not been in Hades to begin with. All will be judged. Only those whose name are found in the book of life will remain. And you may be saying, well, I'm saved. My name's in the book of life. Is it? Hebrews 12, verse 26 is very clear. You're either fully in Christ or you're not. If you're fully in Christ, you're saved. If not, uh, sorry, Charlie, but we will all be judged. Hebrews 10, 26 reads, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Ouch. Oh, that hurt. Now, brothers and sisters, that's a mouthful of shipwrecked my heart when I first read it. I didn't hear it from the pulpit. I've never heard it from the pulpit. Not ever. Not once. I guess preachers were afraid to step on toes. I wish that they had stepped on my toes and broken my leg. It chilled me to the bone when I read that. So what's the big deal? If we continue to sin willingly and knowingly, there is no sacrifice that covers our sin. We're out in the open and on our own. Only sins can be covered by the redeeming blood of Jesus. But we came to saving grace and knowledge that Jesus died and shed his blood for us, right? But if we truly surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we repent. We turn away from sin and do not consciously and habitually continue to practice in sin. But the writer in Hebrew states emphatically that if we do so, then there is no sacrifice for sin. What's the big deal? Because God's law demands a blood sacrifice to redeem us of our sin. That's why Jesus had to shed his blood. The law required a blood sacrifice. Let's continue with verse 27 in Hebrews chapter 10. Remember, there is no longer a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. If you are not sold out to Jesus, you are an adversary. If you continue to sin openly and continuously, then you have no sacrifice to cover your sins. Let's continue with verses 28 and 29. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. All right. I don't have any problem with that. But how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Oh, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Now, that's some strong language. Pay attention. It's vitally important that you understand this. And it is not my intent to anger you or belittle you or insult any of you. I'm trying to help you. I know it sounds blunt, and it may even be a little harsh, but I'm presenting the Word of God, and sometimes the Word of God is not gentle. This is one of those times. I'm pleading with you. Turn back now to God. Turn away from sin in your life and give God the glory for the turning away. Judgment is coming. 
It's coming for all of us. I am not the judge. I will be judged like everyone else according to my deeds. Believe me, I have plenty to answer for. I love my Lord and my Lord loves me. But I will be judged and I will be judged rightly in righteousness. So will you. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at the oldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.